Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined by Nathan Anias of Crispy Collar Studios. Yo, thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan. You are a designer, you're a comics creator. Not only do you w- w- do your own work and your own, your own creative work in comics, you also run a festival, uh, and we'll talk about that a little later on. But what I want to actually ask you is how you came to land in the world of comics. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I, you might be able to tell by my accent, I'm not from this land. No, really? I am a foreigner. Yes, <laughs> I grew up in the United States. But when I was a kid, I, I lived with my great grandparents and I just was rummaging around in the garage one day and I, I came across this old stack of comics that used to belong to my uncle. Mm-hmm. And it was all this old Marvel stuff, like Fantastic Four. I can't remember what else was in there, but I was hooked from that. And so read comics growing up, loved it. Fantastic Four was my jam. I was really? all about it. Yeah, I love it. I can't, I, 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 who was it? I was talking to, there was a, I think it was uh, Gary Proudly. Uh, yeah, and he was talking about he was talking about how he loved Fantastic Four. Yeah, and I never got Fantastic Four. Oh, really? You've never re- have you read it? <laughs> yeah, I've oh, tried. Yeah, like I've like tried. the Stanley Kirby stuff. Oh no, I haven't actually. I haven't. Oh, read that's that stuff. it. That's gold, right? Okay, and it introduces so many things in the Marvel world. Right. But I liked them because they were explorers. They didn't have like alter egos or anything. They're just kind of they presented their, themselves to the public, mm-hmm. and they were a family, so they'd yep. go on these adventures. Anyway, so I loved. That's how I got my love for comics, and I uh, just grew up reading them, grew up drawing them. I was really into Calvin and Hobbes as well. And, Hell, um, I still read that now. Oh, that's great. And then um, I kind of forgot about comics for a while, so I went to university, and I started. I studied exercise science, actually, and we call it athletic training. You'd call it sports physio. Mm-hmm. And I met my wife, or my future wife then, and she was doing an arts degree, and so she kind of inspired me to pick back up with my art because mm-hmm. I'd always been, you know, just a hobbyist or yep. not. Um, so then I continued on and did a fine arts degree as well. And art school is mostly like oil painting and charcoal drawing and stuff like that. And so then when I graduated from art school, I was more like geared to like doing a painting and having a show and things like that. Yeah. So comics were still kind of on the back burner. And it was only just in the last few years that I got fired up about comics again. And I was still reading like here and there, but mm-hmm. not, not regularly or anything. So then... Commander K-9 really was, he was a childhood character that I'd started, and I just used to draw comics about him, and they were basically like rip-offs of Liefeld's X-Force and Jim Lee's X-Men. Yeah. I would pretty much just copy their artwork and like yeah. put a dog head on top of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just like a funny little thing to do. And um, I thought, I'm interested in learning about how comics are made mm-hmm. and the craft of doing them, because there's so yeah. much involved in putting together a comic from the creative writing to the illustration, what's, you know, it's broken down to penciling and inking and so forth, uh, the design, the lettering, and I'm interested in all those things. So I thought it was a great project and it was really a study of how to make a comic because I, I really was clueless. So using the skills that you learned in fine art school, <laughs> some how, of it, how, yeah. how, to, how to create a comic book. But a lot of it, was, I was just self-educating myself. Yeah. I was f- trying to find books about how professionals make comics and how comics are lettered and stuff like that. 
and it's actually kind of hard to find and it's hard to find people who will teach you you know what i mean like and now that i've been in it for a few years i get people come up and and they're interested and i've taken all these things for granted now that i know but they're where i used to be and they're like how do you do this? Yeah. And I'm kind of like, what do you mean? You just do it, right? It's interesting too, because you can, uh, if you if you look hard enough, you can actually find textbooks. Yeah. The uh, Will Eisner, the three the three Will Eisner books. Then there was uh, um, Brian Michael Bendis um, has released one, and he uses his book in his school or his in his classes. I can't remember what university. I think the University of Portland or something like that. And there's also there's a couple of others, uh, other crew that have breakdowns and i mean like proper breakdowns not like you know dr- you know uh drawing comics the marvel way and yeah, all that right. kind of, or not those kind of you know <laughs> uh drawing uh or in- instructional books Absolutely. basically i found what was really useful was like scott mcleod's uh, uh yes yeah. how to draw comics and, and that's and the seminal and how to one make comics and then um the works by Bern hogarth was just like kind of illustration yeah. techniques and dark horse had a really good book on inking so those are really helpful and just like finding stuff on the internet and and whatnot. So I started undertaking this project and got it done. I really had no clue about comics culture in Melbourne or elsewhere. I'd never been to a comic convention. And, Shh, uh, don't tell anyone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so, yeah, I had finished this comic book and I was like, well, now what do I do with it? You know what I mean? I was really pleased and I just enjoyed the process. It was good. It was fun. You, you say Commander Canine was something you used to draw as a kid. Mm. What what directly influenced... What, why did you choose a dog? I, I just... I, th- I thought it was funny. I think... I like superhero comics, right? But you can't really take them too seriously because mm-hmm. if you take them at face value, they're just ridiculous. So <laughs> I kind of was interested in having a laugh at superhero comics as well. Mm-hmm. And so I just liked the character. He's kind of based on my childhood pet. So I, there's probably some connection there. Yeah. He used to actually be called Captain Canine, and he used to wear red boots and gloves. But I kind of did some research and found out that Captain Canine is like a basketball playing dog for Disney. Right. So I couldn't use that, so I had to change it. So I tweaked it a bit, kind of, ref- you know, I had a reboot of the character and create a story that I thought was more interesting and gave him, you know, some more human qualities and stuff, really fleshed out the world. But yeah, it's just like, it was just to have fun. I like comics that are fun and that aren't too serious. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the style I tend to do and yeah, tend right. to read. Yeah, so a lot more of the kind of humorous or, you know, give me an example of, of a couple of the kind yeah, of stuff you um, want to read or even some of the creators that you... Some of the stuff I loved reading was like uh, Excalibur mm-hmm. by Alan Davis. Yep. And uh, I like the sensational She-Hulk by John Byrne. Megaton Man was really fun. And recent I- comics that I like kind of like God Hates Astronauts and uh, Curse Words. Image had a really good one recently. Maestros by Steve Scrooge. Oh, yeah. like a fantasy thing. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but I tend to go for the fun kind of, you know, quirky things. I don't tend to read dramatic, serious things too much because life's already serious. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of why I read. Uh, you know, I like to uh, change it up every once in a while, but I'm finding that a lot more of the stuff I'm reading has more of a grounding in reality than not... Um, mainly because one, I'm either sick of, you know, some of the stories and there's only so many Batman stories or mm. you know, Spider-Man stories or, or things like that that you can read over and over again. It's kind of like, oh, they did this 10 years ago. Definitely. You know, there are, every once in a while there's something that comes up that's pretty spectacular, but it's very far and few between, particularly from the major commercial guys like Marvel or DC. Yeah, I don't um, read any Marvel or DC anymore. And every time I do, I'm kind of disappointed. Yeah. I hate to say, I love Marvel from like 1992 and back. Yeah, and that's what I read now. I w- but I don't read anything current, so I have no idea what's going on with that anymore. There's a, there's a whole bunch of brand new uh, companies that have started, really small, particularly in the states, and they're doing some really good work. Mm. Uh, Vault and Scout, Ahoy, they're the only ones that I can remember off the top of my head. But they're doing some really interesting stuff with like with genre pieces. They're just changing it up. Uh, Catherine Berger uh, has created a, her own line. Originally, the president of Vertigo Comics at DC, mm. and so and they were and I pretty much nowadays I will say Image is effectively Vertigo. You know, Vertigo did a lot of kind of mature readers and would would take a lot of risks, and Image is doing that now. Whereas back then, yeah. Vertigo were the only ones that were doing it. But now it seems like you know Black Mask is another one. Black mm. Mask, uh, Aftershock, 
a lot of these smaller kind of publishers are doing some really amazing work and they've got amazing creators doing some really far out stuff. And that's the stuff I like to read now because it's something new, something mm-hmm. you haven't seen before. And the stories are, they've got a fin, they've got an they're ending to them, you yeah. know, like they might run for 12 issues or whatever, but then they finish. Yeah. It's not this going on forever, which I think is a trap and, the, and Marvel and DC are struggling with that because they're trying to carry the weight of these, like this histories for these characters. Yeah. So, in essence, the characters can never really change. They're stuck being the same. Yeah. Because fans demand it. Well, that's right, isn't it? Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's the difference between reading a, a six issue miniseries of, of, uh, you know, of you know some character you're just learning, and it just everything just seems a lot fresher, rather than reading the seven hundredth issue of, whoever it is, man, and um, you know having to deal with everything that's happened before, and you know things of you know as you say trapped by the parameters given mm. each one of those characters and not being able to stray, not being able to do anything. And in fact, some of the more celebrated stories in a lot of comics history and in different, you know, for the different publishers uh, has always been their uh, their offshoots, their Elseworlds or their, you know, you know, the what ifs or, you know, this is not really part of that, but, you know, here, play around and have a good time. And, and those stories always invariably come out on top and uh, so much better uh, examples of what the characters can do and what they what you can do with the characters. Not only do you do, not only have you done uh, worked with uh, Commander Canine, but you've also come up with whole. You've also you know done other stuff. What are some of the other titles that you've worked on? Types of stories that you're looking at uh, experimenting with? Yeah, right. I haven't done too much. So I've been recently. I've been collaborating with um, an artist that I met at the Melbourne Comic Meetup. His name's Daryl Leach, and he's a really talented artist. And he was interested in doing a comic, and he was kind of where I was when I started out. He, he didn't really know how to get started, yeah. and so we kind of decided to work together. And so we, he had a kind of a loose plot or an idea, because he um, teaches martial arts and stuff. So I said, you know, what are your interests? And he told me, and I thought, well, maybe let's do an action-adventure story, because I think that fits your, your style of artwork, and it's something that you know you kind of like already. So we landed on that. So we've been working on that, and that's called Jump Punch. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of an action-adventure story. It's got parkour and some mysticism and some martial arts in it. And it's kind of loosely based on things that we love, like you know Street Fighter and films like Big Trouble in Little China mm-hmm. and th- kind of that vibe to it. Um, I actually really kind of struggled at first. It's hard to collaborate with someone especially when you've been working by yourself for so long yeah. and you're used to calling all the shots and knowing what your workflow is, you kind of have to adapt and you have to be flexible. So I wrote this whole script and I wrote it, I wrote it, I guess, for myself and what yeah. I thought I could do and what a, you know, what a penciler should be able to do. But when I gave it to him, I kind of left it to him to decide when the page breaks would be and how the panels were. And I'm just like, here's, here's how many pages the comic needs to be, yeah. right? And here's the story. And it like blew out like big time. <laughs> um, so we had some teething issues getting started. He's doing the pencils. I'm doing the inks. And because inking is, is a craft that I really love. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I want to do the inks. He's got a style that's more like Eastern manga. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm more of like a traditional Western comic style. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of interesting and challenging. But yeah, we got going, kind of fin- figured it out and it's all together now. It's launched at Indie Comic Con. And it's a fun title. We think, well, we think it's worth reading. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. I hope and, so. And he's, he's only used like, I don't know, like six pages of that script. So we have plenty more story to go. How long was the script? I don't know. It's like, well, I, I wrote it as like a 24-page comic. And I think he used the first <laughs> six pages of it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I mean, there's, you know, I'm, look, I'm flipping through it now. Yeah. And you say, how long? You say the script was 24 pages. And yet he's only used the first six in this, and so it was or a, less. Was I it mean, a loose script? And then it was kind of like a Stanley style. So I like summarized right. it. Here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Here's some dialogue, and then I didn't. And then you like figure out where the pages are and where the panels are. Right. And then you've come over, and then you've and you've put in the dialogue. Yeah, and then I've kind of reacted because pretty much like we're using all the dialogue I, mm-hmm. I wrote. But um, sometimes I'm reacting to his art and like improvising based on the expression he's put on a character oh, yeah. or whatnot. So it's evolved, and uh, we, we've, we've been a good team. We haven't always agreed on some of the stuff, but we... What happens there? Usually, we present our case for why it needs to be a certain way, and then we'll sit on it, 
for a day or two and then we come back to it and, and then we come up with a solution. So we either go one direction or the other. Right. And there's been cases where I've kind of won the argument. And there's been cases where he's won the argument, but it's no hard feelings because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're on the same creative team right. and we're both dedicated just producing the best comic we can. Yeah. And how does that differ from, let's say, working on, aside from uh, the, the collaborative um, process, how does that differ from working on something like uh, what you did uh, with Whale Song, which is a, a, sm- a little a little kind of almost zany kind of thing that you worked on? It was. On. Um, yeah, I loved doing Whale, Whale Song. I actually did it for Festival of the Photocopier right? because I'd never tabled there and I was interested in seeing what it was about. And I knew it was more of a zine fest, so I knew like my other comics probably weren't going to do that well there. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I, I better bring something. And I was interested in... Doing something short and sharp because I'd been working on Commander Canine for so long. Yeah, I think how long? Uh, about two years. Okay, you know, I'm a slow worker, so I don't know like how much of it. And I was working on it in bits, you know, yeah, like right. hour here, hour there. Um, but yeah, about two years. So this I just knocked out in in like a month, mm-hmm. and it was really rewarding and fresh. But it's it's a totally different s- visual style, and it's you know. A, different sort of story it's more like not serious but you know what i mean um more Phil- honest i guess I philosophical yeah is what i got from it so it's, it's all about the evolution of whales which i think is really fascinating mm-hmm. um and i've always you know loved science and i think it's just beautiful how animals can change over time you know yeah. like they we all came out of the sea and then they were like little dogs on land, and then they decided to go back into the ocean. And this is why they got to breathe air, and they have, you know, their tail goes up and down and not side to side. I think that's fascinating, stuff yeah, like that. Wow. Yeah, So it's cool. And that, that was done in Rizograph. Um, uh, which, yeah, I was going to ask you Another reason that. why I wanted to do it is to explore that and kind of see how that was done. And that's, is that w- what, explain the process of Rizograph. Yeah, Rizograph is like a, it's like a screen print. So right. okay. all the line work was done in black mm-hmm. um, with ink. And then I had to separate them into layers uh, on Photoshop. Yep. And so basically Rizograph is like a fancy name for a, a photocopier, right. right? But each color has to go through separately on a separate run. Mm-hmm. So you create a master for each color. Uh, mine's purple and orange. So then the artwork goes once through for purple, gets printed, and then another time for orange. And because of the process, like there's little quirks to it. So you have some unpredictable results. Right. And the registration sometimes can be a little wonky, but it gives it kind of a charming effect. And for those that out there that don't know what registration is, it's basically the markings on the paper that make sure that your, that your work is aligned. So when you're, when you're putting through the, the, the paper, uh, once and a second time and maybe a third time or a, a fourth time it's just so everything kind of lines up and it looks the way it's supposed to yeah that's right so every every copy of whale song is a little bit different yeah you know right. what I mean? huh i didn't even think of that yeah yeah wow that's cool once you you, you know you've got commander canine done it's in the bag it's printed yeah it's ready to go and now you decide how the what am i going to do with this that's right what was your next step i n- had never thought about it i just like i was like i want to make a comic and then towards the end of it, I'm like, well, what am I going to do with it? You mm-hmm. know, I want the comic to be read. I want to share it with people. I had no clue about how to release a comic, where to take it, what's happening in Melbourne. Are there events? Are there comic stores that will take it? So I, I really didn't know. Um, I just happened to come across this ad for Home Cooked on Facebook. Yep. I think I saw their event was on. And that was at Northgate Town Hall. would have been, well, let's say 2015, 2016. Yeah. I can't remember. Maybe 2015. And I went to that, and it was like a, a cool little festival. And I brought my portfolio with me, and had all my comic pages, and and I was showing people. I'm like, yeah, I'm making a comic too. <laughs> I don't know if they like that. I always encourage people to do that because, as a creator, I'd be happy to talk about people's artwork. I, I can't speak for others though, yeah, but yeah. most of the people had were pleasant, and they were happy to look at my work. So it's cool. And I got all these contacts. I picked up all these comics. I'm like, this is awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, next year my comic's gonna be ready. I'm gonna be at Home Cooked. I'm gonna be selling comics. So that was the plan. And then Home Cooked, I was kind of waiting for the announcement, like when's it, when it kind of sign up? And, and they canceled the event for the next year because yeah, they right. didn't have any money. Yep, yep, so yep. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll go, maybe I'll try Oz Comic Con, right? Because it's, it's a Comic Con. Mm-hmm. So I've never been to Oz Comic Con, I don't think, um, at that stage. So I thought I'd try there. And I hooked up with another creator because I didn't think I had enough for a table myself because I only yep. had the one comic. So Pierre Loga, 
who's really talented and he's, excitement city excitement city yeah, yeah, yeah he's awesome i said hey do you want to go have his on table i was like yeah let's do it so we applied and everything we waited and then um we got rejected and said we were unsuccessful so right that was kind of uh kick in the guts and it's pretty mad did, did they actually say why no they don't they don't tell you why they just said it's like basically they don't have enough space right 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 so it's it basically came down to because i would have thought at a convention of that type would go yeah sure uh sling us the money for the table and we can come yeah set up. you think so right yeah uh, i don't know how they i don't know how they figure out yeah, who, right. who gets table or i'm not. gonna have to interview someone <laughs> from one of those conventions <laughs> one day just to ask them because it, it's boggled my mind for a while now well it boggled my mind because i was like well if i can't <laughs> get my comic in at a comic event <laughs> where where the hell do i take it yeah you know so i was pretty pissed and fumed for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and i went to oz comic con and I looked around, and there was hardly any comics, yeah. right? And there was hardly any independent comics. There was a few, but most of it was people selling prints or like crafts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There was a, you know, they have the cosplay and all that stuff. And not to put down the comic con because I love, I like going to those. Yeah. I have a fun time, but the comics were kind of far and few between. Yeah, right? it's the comic. That's a, and, and I've said it many times on the show. That's my number one bugbear for a lot of these pop culture. Mm. Um, conventions because that's effectively what they are now and i understand that they were born from comic conventions but my issue is you know you're you're peddling a lot of the same kind of stuff but there's you know where's where's one number one where's the australian content and two you know why aren't there more comic creators you know uh, you know five in a hall that fits thousands of people Definitely. It's kind of like, come on. Yeah. You know, I get the draw cards. I get why that, how they make their money. Mm. But to me, I just kind of, I still feel a bit, you know, a bit icky about it. I just, you know, just kind of go, yeah, it, that's all good and well. And, and I've said it before. Heaps of people love it. They get off on that shit and that's great. And I love it that people, you know, get to go somewhere and geek the shit out. Mm. But again, it's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, what about it's, you know, what about servicing the core group and why a lot of this stuff exists i think in retrospect um i dodged a bullet by not getting a table there right and it it was like the precursor to what happened next so if i hadn't had that experience i probably wouldn't have done what i did yeah and i think from talking to people who have gone to that event who are like in a similar spot as i am who have you know producing their own comics they don't really do that well there because you're competing with all yeah. the pop culture stuff, like you're competing against Spider-Man and Harley Quinn and who have brand recognition behind them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're dealing with crowds who are not like primed to read comics. They're not really there for that. Yeah. So it's a hard sell and with the tables being so expensive. So I think it was good looking back now. By the time I was pissed, I'm like, this is stupid. And so I was like, well, I either have to wait another year and, and hope that home coach is on again. Yeah. Or, cause I didn't really know what else to do with it. Like, Am I going to sell it out of my car? I don't have a car. I have a bike. Am I going to yeah. sell it off the back of my bike? So then I'm like, right, I'm just going to create my own festival. If, if it doesn't exist, let's make it happen, right? Yeah. And so I was in the hospital at the time because I had this really gnarly infection in my hand just like put me in the hospital. Anyway, so I created a Facebook event then, and that's how the ball got rolling. Yeah, right. And, and like started with 10 likes. And then it grew into a festival called Indie Comic Con. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 10 likes. Something like that. How you long know, How long after small. you posted it with the 10 likes come up? Uh, it took a while, you know, yeah. a few weeks. <laughs> how, long after, how long after you created the Facebook page did you turn into a Kickstarter? Because that, that was the first one. Um, right? Let's see. It would have been 2017 was our first festival. So it would have been June that I decided I was going to do it, mm-hmm. right? Um. And then I had no money. I'm like, I'm not actually sure I can pull this off, <laughs> right? But I, I was, I was like I said, I was faking it till I made it. I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm gonna do this event, so I put it out there. So the Kickstarter must have been July or August, right? Because I needed the money. Because I had set the date with the Northcote Town Hall. I just like, can I hire your hall? And I think I set it for November. Yeah. So I had from June to November to do a Kickstarter to organize it all and get it going. So yeah, there was a lot to work to do, but we got over the edge that month of Kickstarter. I was like, so stressed. I was <laughs> ready to die because you just don't know if you're going to get it. And yeah. it's fast at the start. Like we had a lot of money coming in at the start. I'm like, yeah, it looks good. And then nothing happens during the middle of it. And you're like freaking out. Um, but yeah, got over the line at the very end. Mm-hmm. 
it was cool festival itself was awesome yeah, yeah 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 i remember being there it was it was really cool wow. and it's grown and it's grown over the, over the it keeps getting bigger yeah. it keeps getting better yeah do you uh do you hope that it actually expands maybe maybe uh you know bigger than than what it is now yeah i would like in that. space as well as in profile i think so as long as we can keep you know our, the values that we have right now which mm -hmm. is our platform is or our, our mission rather is is, is you know, provide a platform for creators yep. so they can connect with the audience, educate people about what comics are, because that's a really important aspect of it, yep. right? It's not just pulling in the same pool of people all the time who already like comics. We need to start, you know, like evangelizing the masses and getting <laughs> more people into it. And uh, preaching to the converted. Yeah. And the third thing is like inspiring the next generation creators and inspiring more people to take yep. up, you know, the pencil and, and make Well, I think, I think by virtue of it existing, you're mm. actually doing that. So more and more people are looking, going, "Hey, I can do this." Yeah, you know, or you know, and and it doesn't necessarily, I've, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to have, you know, the best looking comic or the one that you know, you, you know, they spend millions of dollars printing. It can be literally right. photocopied as long as the narrative, as long as there's a narrative there. That's right. It doesn't matter. And I've you seen got some, a story to tell. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some Make really cool shit just on, you know, <laughs> on a folded up piece of paper. Um, so, so if we can, if we can keep that in sight, yeah, I would like to get bigger and maybe one day the dream is it could be a full-time job, you know, make it into a nonprofit organization mm -hmm. or keep it for profit and just like pick up bigger sponsors along the way yeah. and maybe even travel around to different cities. This is, this is a dream. Does it know? need to go to different cities? I don't know. You've got, maybe you've got many, many, you've got many, uh, many huge, huge uh, conventions around the world who pretty much have stayed where they began. That's true. You know, I think I think that that the the traveling circus kind of model, in my opinion, I, I think that's wanting too much. I think what you if you lay down roots, it's probably but you're better served. And 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 I'm only saying that because Angoulême, I can't remember the one in Leeds. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, in the UK, SPX, San Diego, yeah, yeah. New York. You know, all these places have kind of just sat down and gone. This is where we're going to do it. And if people want to come, you know, they travel. That's true. That's true. I, at the very least, I guess maybe giving people some insight in how to they how they could do the same in their own cities. Because I I get comments a lot of times. I wish this was in Sydney. I wish you would come to Canberra. Why does it have to be in Melbourne? You know, because Melbourne's cool, country, man. Yeah, the rest of the country is sad. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but it's the good. expense. And we, and we do attract visitors from out of state, and we attract artists from out of state. Yeah. So that's that's really cool, and it's just getting more renowned every year there were there are stipulations though aren't there like you you have to you know the criteria for being a creator is or is that my imagining things no you're right so we have kind of put down the gauntlet and said you know if you're going to come to our event you're very welcome if you're if you're making a comic come to our event we don't really care what your comic's about we don't care how sophisticated it is as long as it's your own stuff so yeah. you can't be selling IP that's not yours mm -hmm. and you, you can't be selling fan art or doing sketch commissions of Vampirella and things like that. So <laughs> you need to, if you come to our show, you're, you're showing off your own goods, right? Yeah. So yeah. we encourage people to do their own prints of their own characters yeah. if they want to do that or do sketch commissions of their own characters because that's part of educating the public as well. Yeah. If you've got your stuff, but you're off also offering prints of the Ninja Turtles, you're not educating your. You're not educating the public to support your own creative work. You're mm -hmm. educating them to like buy into this cycle of pop culture yeah, yeah. Um, consumption, right? Yeah. So we want to break that. I think we've been successful so far, and there's a lot of value there that people appreciate because of it. On the subject of Indie Comic Con, as well as your own work, have you received any negative criticism regarding regarding you know what you're doing? with your work as well as with the convention? I haven't had much criticism of my own work. Everything I hear tends to be positive. I'm always asking people for feedback and oftentimes they just, they say, oh yeah, I'll read it and I'll let you know and you never hear from them. <laughs> but I tell my students that you, you really have to get out of your own circle and seek critical feedback. Mm -hmm. And I really haven't done that. So I have to take my own advice <laughs> and um, take it to somewhere who will actually tell me how it is. But um, as far as the festival, it's been overwhelmingly positive and you can't please everyone. So of course I've had some gripes over the years mm -hmm. and I've been accused of creating an event that's just like profit grabbing machine, which is laughable because there is no profits. What, what <laughs> but you know, uh, for me that kind of, 
I, I get I get why they might say that, but like where are the where are they assuming the profits are coming from? Um, well, because uh, we had a big Kickstarter, right? We we raised like six grand or something like that. I think maybe there's just some naivety about how much it costs is to run and how much it costs to run it um, and successfully. But but at the end of the day, I mean, there's there's nothing left over. Everything we earn every year, we put back in the festival. So we're yeah. essentially starting scratch every, every year. year. Yeah. So that's kind of something I would like to maybe change and start to build a pool of money that we could invest. And then anyway, so that's really the only criticism. And but and then little nitpicks here and there from exhibitors and stuff like that, or like. But visitors have, have been overwhelmingly positive about it. And that's it. typically who you're there to please. I mean, let's be honest. If if, <laughs> if someone, I mean, you know, yeah. as a punter myself, if someone's going to hold a table and people are going to go and no one's going to go near them, no one's going to buy their books. I mean, what is that? To me, that says your stuff, people don't like your stuff. True. Like read read the signs. Yeah, effectively. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, not everybody wants to listen to me talk to people about comics. Yeah. You know, and I fully understand that. Uh, in, and I imagine it's the same for everything. Not everybody likes every piece of music that comes out into the world. You know, so if someone's going to sit there and, and, and be a little bit upset that no one likes their stuff, that's, that's got nothing to do with anybody other than the creator and possibly the tastes of the people that they're trying to push this yeah, stuff Yeah, you on. got it. Whenever I get feedback um, about the event, an overwhelming kind of theme is we just want more of what you're doing. Just keep, keep it coming. Yeah. You're doing a great job. Yeah. And so people seem to enjoy what, what we're putting on. What level of, let's say, criticism, positive or negative, then feeds into what you do for the following year? Yeah, I, I've, I listened to everything. And then sometimes, especially when it's critical and it's negative, like you get fired up, right? And you're yeah. like, what the hell? You know, what are they talking about? Yeah. Um, but then I just like sit on it and then I'm pretty cool level-headed and I'll, and I'll say, is this, is this valid feedback? Is this something yeah. that I can make a change with? If it's a good suggestion, maybe I should take it on board. Yeah, yeah. And so then I do that. So I try to tweak it here and there and, and make it better every mm -hmm. time. Yeah, cool. That's all you can do. I guess and with feedback, it's, it's your choice if you act yeah, on it or not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. That has always kind of played on my mm. mind when I'm, particularly when I'm talking to other people and, and just to see how, how, you know, how people, um, interpret what is being said and unfortunately i think in, in predominantly in the arts a lot of people are just happy that it exists and they're not necessarily worried about how or what or they're like you know you've got it you know it's um but essentially saying that if you're doing a great job no one cares yeah it's only when you start screwing shit up yeah that people turn around and go hey man what the hell are you doing mm. you know that's not cool and it's like what do you mean <laughs> You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, we are all over social media. Well, not all over it, but we've got a few. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please jump on Facebook and like us if you're enjoying the show, as well as following us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. This has been a Graphic Nature public service announcement. You talked earlier about inking and how you really enjoy it. Out of let's say out of writing and drawing or penciling, which one's your preferred preferred discipline aside from inking? Um, I like illustrating best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, I like both. So writing is easy and it's fast. Yeah, and you can put ideas down quickly. Uh, drawing is harder because it takes more time to kind of imagine the composition and get it down. I'm kind of a little bit. Perf perfectionist about how things are so i tend to draw really tightly but inking is is nice because the pencils have already been done so the hard work's kind of already been done yep and then the inking is interpreting it so it's not tracing but there's a very you know art form to it you're adding value you're adding line weight uh, texture yep. so it's really cool and there's so much things you can do. Um, I tend to use like a Windsor Newton brush and ink. So I tend to do most of my stuff with a brush and I'll use fine liners if I have to, but I prefer not to. Um, but for some things I'm just, I'm not good enough with a brush yet to, to pull it off, yeah. but that's my tool of choice. And it's, it's a meditative process. It's very Zen. You get in there and you just lose hours in the process. So it's pretty amazing yeah. experience, isn't it? It's cool. <laughs> Putting your head down at 10 AM oh, and then yeah. looking up and going, holy shit, it's eight o'clock yeah, in the right. evening. <laughs>
And wh- wh- you did mention uh, you're a little bit of a perfectionist or you see yourself as a perfectionist. H- how much leeway do you give yourself when you're self-criticizing your work? Is it is it uh, a whole like process or do you, is it just kind of more of a flip and, eh, no, you know what, I'm going to just fix that up? Or how, how deep into the process do you go for yourself? I've gotten better because when I started out as an artist and as a comic creator, I guess, you know, I would want everything to be the way I had imagined it in my mind's eye before I showed it to anyone. Yeah. That would mean like I would never finish projects <laughs> and I would never show them to anyone. Right. And so it's the whole reason why I'm doing a podcast yeah. and not creating my own comics. <laughs> there comes a point where yeah. you just have to say, right, it's finished. I'm happy with what I've done. Mm-hmm. So as far as I can go with the, with the time I have available to me and put it out there. And then you get sharper every time you do a new project. Yeah. And I think that stops a lot of people is they, they, it's the project's not quite perfect yet. So they keep going, keep going and they, and they never pull it out. But, um, it's good to have a deadline because if you don't, the time available for you to do your project is infinite and it will take infinite amount of time for you to do it. So I've gotten better at that and I'm, I'm not as strict on myself anymore and a happy, like if I make, if I, if I wiggle my hand and my mark is not quite what I wanted it to be, it's okay, you know, and I'll just let it go. And sometimes that's good. You get like happy surprises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and especially now that I've collaborated with someone, you can't have everything your own way all the time. So you have to give and take. That means it may not be the way you thought it was going to be or you envisioned it, but it's still good. And yeah, you get just get, go for it. For me personally, pretty much what you've described, I think I would have a hard time collaborating with people too. Particularly, particularly with that whole mind's yeah. eye, this is what I see. My ability doesn't match up to what I want to see, so I'm going to get someone else to do the job. <laughs> but yet you're forever, I know for me, I will forever be critical of what that other person, it's fine if I fuck it up, yeah. but if someone else is doing it yeah. and they fuck up, then it's kind of like, oh, I don't know. You got to find yeah. the right person to collaborate with yeah. and you have to be able to communicate with them. But if you like, if there's something they did and you don't like, but like you don't know how to communicate to them and you just hold on to it, that working relationship is going to break down sooner or later. <laughs> That's happened so many times uh, and throughout history too. When, when working on, on your own, let's say when working on your own stuff, do you, do you need a designated space? Do you need to be shut off from the world or can you work in, in a completely open environment and and mess around and I, I can sketch you yeah. know i can like put down some ideas in an open environment um but i can't really work i need a dedicated space so yeah, yeah. i have an office where i do kind of like i color digitally and uh, i'll do my craft design and stuff on the computer and then my studio is in the garage and that's where i'll do my drawing and my um inking mm-hmm. and it's kind of my space just to get in the zone and and have my time and so usually I like to keep it clean so it's ready to go. So at the end of a session, I'll clean it down so that I'm ready for the start of a new session. Like a kitchen. Because, yeah, (laughs) because there are times, though, where I get, I'm naughty and I start leaving things and it starts accumulating and it's just like chaos. And then you come in, it's messy and you don't want to work. So I need it to be clean first. So I'm trying to get in the habit of keeping my studio clean. I'll go in, I might read some comics, I might do some marker sketches or just like fuck around a little bit. And then. Once I've had that t- warm-up time, I might do a study. Like I'll do a 15-minute study of something I think I'm, I need to improve on. Yep. So for a long time, I was doing head turns because I, I didn't think or wanted to improve my um, angles for drawing heads because I thought I was kind of weak in it. And that is supremely tough. So I did that for like a year. Yeah, yeah. Right? Head turns every day like for 15 minutes before I got into my comic work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll jump into it. And so when that when that time starts, because I kind of block it out. So when studio time starts, time to do that comic page. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. So I'm pretty disciplined with yeah. how I work. And, and how long did it take for you to get to there? <laughs> to get to go? A couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of years. fair enough. Fair because enough. I was finding I was I was not being productive. Yep. And when I just had would mosey on in whenever I felt like it, it'd be far and few between. Because, yep. you know, it's like you have kind of treat like your job. Now, yeah. How often do you feel like going to your job? Never. Um, yeah. So yeah, or exercising, right? You have to be d- disciplined and just go and do it. And if you make it into a routine, yeah, then yeah, you yeah. start to get into the rhythm of it mm-hmm. and you start to look forward to it. Because there would be times where I would actively be avoiding it because I would kn- I'd, I would know 
that today I need to draw something I'm not good at, or well, I have that, a page that's got a lot of work. I'm not Forty-five degree angle hit. Yeah, I really don't want to draw it. Yeah, and I would avoid it because yeah. I knew that it was something that was going to challenge me. But now I'm like, I kind of run towards the challenges instead of away from them. And by having that schedule, it's helped me a lot. You know what? That's that sounds like such a simple and great idea to do this. To do the what do you, what do you call it? The the studies. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's a, it's a great idea. I know that. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I've already spoken about this on the show before, but I had a really shitty job for a very long time. And back then I had decided, you know what? I want to be in comics, God damn it. I've been reading for so long that uh, I wouldn't mind uh, creating something, but I really wanted to make it as an artist because, you know, writing came easy to me, but the art I always wanted to get into. Yeah. And so I spent the two and a half years I worked at that job. Uh, it took about three months in to realize how much I hated that job. And I thought, I want to do something else with my life and, and I want to do comics. And, or I at least want to be in the comics field, the comics industry. And the only way that I'm going to get better is if I draw those, those 10,000 shit drawings. And it's the only way I'm going to get better is by drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing. That's right. And there was like, what, can you, what can't you draw? Heads. <laughs> can't draw heads. So I've got so many sketch pads at home. That's good. It's full of shitty drawn heads. Mm. But, the uh, old book of heads. The old book of heads, yeah. yeah, yeah. So That's cool. And then you go back and you see how much worse you used to be and how yeah. much better you've got, but right? But it's incredible. And now looking at some of the professional guys, and you you know, in my case, I've been reading comics for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at when I look at some of the guys that I loved back in you know the early 90s, and I look at them now and I go, wow, some of their styles have changed dramatically. And in some cases, they're a lot cleaner. And I've got this ongoing debate with a lot of people whether whether it's the digital introduction of, of digital like digital spaces, digital working, yeah, that has changed how their work looks, or whether it is actually uh, uh, an evolution mm. of of the way that they compose their drawings. Definitely, if you want to improve, like you, you're forever a student. You're yeah. always learning, yeah, and yeah. that has to be kind of self. You have to do it yourself, like self taught or self-enacted rather mm-hmm. um like recently i taught this class and, and they were calling it a master class i'm like i don't feel like a master i feel yeah. like i'm still figuring out what i'm doing i don't yeah. know why are they calling it a master class <laughs> but kind of like relative though you yeah know, you're teaching someone who doesn't know True. As, as much as you but you're always forever learning and so it's just like this cascading yeah i'm oh, not cascading it's probably the wrong way to say it but um you know, everyone's trying to climb the ladder and get you know a better at it or more knowledge or you know trying to figure it out for themselves. Definitely. Yeah. How long have you been teaching? Because I didn't even know that. I've been teaching for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. So I've been I've got a post at the Box Hill Community Arts Center. Oh, cool. And I teach comic art and cartooning mostly to kids. Yep. And we have had some spates where we've had adult classes as well, which has been really cool. Yeah. So I like teaching the adults because they sit still and listen <laughs> to you when you talk. And then the kids want is just wacky and crazy because yeah. they're like, you know, their pants are full of ants and they just want to whatever. Um, so that's all. That's a lot of games, you know, a lot of collaborative stuff and whatnot. And then the teens are actually the other end because... They're, they're to that place now where they don't want to talk and they don't give you anything. And you have to like pull them out and shake them and say, are you alive? Do you have something in you? But they're actually really cool too. So I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And I, I do like workshops and mm. um, drawing classes around the city. So I've done stuff in the city of Melbourne. Yep. I've done stuff for Free Comic Day and gone to schools and stuff, which is really cool. Most recently, I did an eight-week course for emerging creators and that was in partnership with city of melbourne Mm -hmm. and indie comic con so that was kind of nice to bring them together and it was it was emerging creators who were interested in producing a graphic novel and so they had some art skill but they had really no experience in sequential art at all so they were actually quite talented and i found it intimidating coming in and like i said it was was this master class and i'm like oh am i really gonna have something to teach these guys but i found that i did and had a lot of fun and I learned from them as well and it was really cool and yeah that was awesome I love teaching it's so much fun and rewarding and surprising what the students produce and uh, I've learned a lot from it as well because when you teach you have to know the subject matter really intimately and so it really hones your skills well yeah you don't want to be caught out by a student because everyone hates that kid (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, or you know disrespects that teacher i yeah. should say it's probably more yeah. more the case with all your work and and particularly with 
with the Indie Comic Con. Uh, how do you interact and how do you use, let's say, social media to to help promote both of these, but both your work as mm. well as the convention? I'm not as good for my own stuff. I mean, I've got a website. I've got the Facebook and the Insta and all that stuff, but I'm probably not as active on there as I should be. It's tough. You know what I mean? I think a lot of that, you make those fans in person. And then if you can hold on to them, that's good. But it's hard to make new fans on social media. Or like I did a Kickstarter for Commander Canine actually and fell flat on my face. I like didn't, yeah. make, didn't make the mark because I, I set the goal too high and I was counting on fan support that I thought was there but weren't, wasn't really there. So like your, in, your instant numbers and stuff, they're just inflated. And like I think someone said, you know, if you, 10%... Of your thousand followers will actually go to your call to action, and ten percent of those will actually maybe purchase something from you. So it's really interesting, that isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've when I've uh, entertained the idea of things like boosting and and Facebook adding and all that kind of stuff, I've decided against it. Mm. I did try it a while back, and from what I can understand, it never really actually translated uh, to. Uh, to results yep other than getting a bunch of likes yep you know so for like for my own stuff that i had I had a year where i was like posting all the time and it was just kind of exhausting and i felt like i was spinning my wheels i actually had some opportunities come from it like uh, copic marker approached me and, mm -hmm. and wanted me to become an ambassador for them and so that was cool um, that's pretty rad yeah that was fun they give me like free markers and stuff so i like that <laughs> Uh, but it, did, it wasn't really translating into like comic sales and yeah. stuff. And it was taking up time from me to make the comics. Mm -hmm. So I, I tried doing a Patreon as well, uh, which also is pretty hard and time intensive. So I've kind of put that on pause. Fortunately on Patreon, it's really hard for people to discover you. And so again, you kind of have to come with yeah. the fan base already intact. I wanted to ask about that too, because I do remember you putting on the Patreon and just wondering how that went for yeah. you. For me, it's the same kind of thing as let's say Indie Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, as a, as a, let's say as an exhibitor, nobody knows who the hell I am. So if I'm going to jump on Patreon, how am I going to actually, how is that going to translate to me, you know, yeah. making money? It was, um, I mean, at the height of my Patreon, I think I was making maybe like $40 a month, which is better than a slap in the face with fish. <laughs> well, it really is. But it's, it's yeah, not going to like... <laughs> it's keep, not going to pay the bills. Yeah, it's not going to pay the bills. And I was posting, you know, stuff, content pretty regularly, like two or three posts a week yeah. and putting, you know, like really detailed posts about how I, how I inked this and time lapses and stuff. And it, it was just exhausting. Yeah. And even my mom didn't like subscribe to my Patreon. I'm like, mom, are you going to get, are you going to get on the Patreon? And she's like, oh, it's too complicated. And last time I supported you, uh, we actually had like hidden fees from Kickstarter. So I think oh, we're just going to give it a miss. Jesus. Sorry, mom, Thanks, if you're mom. listening to this. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And then with Indie Comic Con, it's kind of like, I have to be, I have to be nailing, just like slamming it every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause this is a different case with Indie Comic Con. So the likes are useful because they just like kind of raise the profile of the event. So Facebook kind of, I don't know how the algorithms work and stuff, but someone likes it, you know, like it shows, hey, your friend likes this thing yeah, or your yeah, friend's yeah. going to this event. And just to raise the awareness, because we're on such a tight budget, just posting daily across all the channels is something I can do for free yeah. that starts to build the following early. So I usually start posting about it in July or August. Jesus. And I won't stop until December. <laughs> until and then the I have 21st. an off season that collapsed. And yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That sounds heaps heaps intense it is but i like i don't know i get a kick out of it it's kind of like i'm a glutton for punishment yeah i like doing things like web design so i've built the website it's kind of fun to go on there and update it and code i don't really know much about coding but i think i've done an okay job <laughs> <laughs> well it looks fine and everything's right there so you yeah know, it's, it's uh it's you know it's good i i use a one of the secondary market kind of like Squarespace and oh yeah right it's kind of like pre-built yeah, yeah, yeah cool. all that kind of it's just it's a lot easier. Yeah, I'm, I'm do doing it. like old school. I'm doing it on Dreamweaver, and I'll talk to people Jesus about it. And they're Christ. like, "How'd you how'd you do your website?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm doing it on Dreamweaver," and they'll laugh at me <laughs> to my face. They're like nobody uses that anymore. <laughs> they don't. They don't. It's it's like it's, I looked at it and I just yeah. went, oh. I gave up years ago on on Dreamweaver, and then when yeah, you know, web websites and organizations like uh, 
a Wix and and Squarespace started, I'm like, hey man, these pe- these are my people. <laughs> do you so do you have to know any code at all to use? Hell no, you See, can. That's what I, I would you miss can. that. I would you miss can. It. There are there are I think there are avenues where you can uh, augment. Uh, certain pages or you can you can add in code okay um, but you have to know what you're doing yeah right but for you know for a website schmo like me I can just jump on do a couple of clicks load up some photos and it's it's done yeah right you know, I can't do that because I don't think I'm using like CS6 which is like super old and um, yeah, I don't even I have those features anymore so it's just <laughs> like I have to code everything <laughs> yeah fair enough which is yeah. fun yeah, that's, yeah. yeah but that's a lot of work yeah on top of all the work you've already got to do true I need, I need an intern or two. No, surely you can find an intern. Yeah. Well, I have one called Verity. <laughs> Hi, Verity. Yeah. <laughs> she's been she's been rad. Yeah. She's my festival coordinator. Yes. Yes, she is. Uh, she's my protege. She'll she'll uh, carry the flame when I'm long gone. <laughs> well, let's hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. Yeah. Okay. Yet. I think uh, many people will be sad uh, saddened by that news if that was to happen. Uh, where have you been to any uh, other conventions outside of Indie Comic Con or even Oz Comic Con, or any well, of the other? I've only been to the big ones as a and as a visitor, and I don't think I would go to be an exhibitor because, as I kind of mentioned, it's it's pretty rough from what I've uh, heard from other creators, and I don't think I have enough content yet. Maybe one day I'll try it out when I have a few books under my belt. What um, about as like as you say as a as a punter? Yeah, uh, I, I like going to them. Have you been They're to fun. an international one though? Oh, not to an international one. No, no really I haven't. As for even when you were living in the states, no. Like, well, like I said, I'd never been to a comic con I mean, before. I made three hundred canine. I lived in a pretty small town in Iowa, <laughs> and there was no comic cons. Yeah, there. fair enough. <laughs> there was, <laughs> why, just why corn, did, yeah, and soybeans. <laughs> I forgot that you were from Iowa. As for little ones, I've done Festival of Photocopier, which is like my favorite i didn't think i was gonna like it as much as i did it's kind of like a dark horse and i like doing the zines because they're short and sharp and something different than i usually do this lasting fair was kind of crazy because they had it at the uh trades hall yeah, and right. so it was all segmented in weird little rooms and stuff so i've talked to a lot of people who are really unhappy about it but i thought it was brilliant and i think partly because i was in a good location but i also did my research and i knew what to bring so i People bring the wrong stuff. You don't do that well. But I was right. And that would be much the same for Indie Comic Con. That's right. You got to know what kind of festival it is, what crowd you, you're getting. Yeah. But uh, I loved it. I was right next to the door. So people would come in. They'd come straight into our room. I had an awesome table mate who I don't remember the name at the moment. But um, yeah, it was a great day. Loved it. And I've done Home Cooked a couple times. Home Cooked is great. Mm-hmm. And I... Really, I mean, it's the inspiration for Indie Comic Con, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I pretty much just like stole their show and then put a new name on it. <laughs> Same place. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't going to say anything, but you yeah. Know, well, no. I mean, it definitely is an inspiration. Right? Yeah. We're, we're very different models now, yeah. and I think we've distinguished ourselves from them. And we kind of have our own like niche in the comic spectrum, yeah. which is great. But yeah, they're awesome. And... I'm, sur- I'm I'm actually surprised by some of the some of the exhibitors that they've had at Home Cooked. Right. Uh, just just the, the the type of the type of content that they've got, uh, and it, and it is and the great thing is is and much like Indie Comic Con, there's there's quite a quite a different. Uh, uh, sorry, I should say quite a large gamut of different work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just there's some of that stuff. I just kind of think, yeah, I don't know if guys uh, really belong here it's okay bit, it's a bit strange interesting yeah that's where i'm gonna leave it for now okay um i'd like to check out this strange comic well i'm, I'm sure you'll get to see them in a couple <laughs> of, you know in, uh, at uh, at your festival okay and then the other one i've done was up in brisbane and what was it called comic street that was really cool too that's right in the heart of the pedestrian mall in Brisbane. So there's all these people walking past and they're like, what is, what's going on? What is this thing? What is this thing called comics? And um, that was fun. Sold yeah, a few books, but not enough to cover the trip, but yep. it was just like a cool thing to do. There's a few popping up regional in regional centers too. Oh, it's the year of the festival, man. Yeah. Like they're coming up everywhere. Paper cuts in Adelaide. Uh, you got... There's one, one in Ballarat. Common Street, yeah. Well, um, Comic Gong and... That's right, the Gong. I don't know all of them. And the Bendicon. yeah. You gotta, when you get Angie Spicer, you got to ask her. She has this like sheet with all of the events because we had her in as a guest speaker for that interface class and she taught the kids about um, how to table and like how to get to events and stuff. And she had the list and I lost it. I had a copy of it and I lost it. So 
That's why I've only been to four. <laughs> well, you mean you're busy doing your own. That's I mean, true. That's that takes be, a lot of time. That's going to make it tough. So basically, I, I created a festival just so I could have a table at it. You know, that's the short story <laughs> of Indie Comic Con. Fair enough. Fair so enough. Everyone owes, do you do well at your own, owes at your Indie own Comic Con to Commander K9? Do I do well? Yeah, I do. At your own convention? Yeah, I do. Is there a conflict of interest? Um, probably. I don't know. <laughs> Because I kickstarted it and I and I made Commander K9 as like a prize for the Kickstarter, I probably hurt myself a little bit. Yeah, right. By okay. doing that, but I do I do do well. We're always trying to bring in new people. But it's so not like anybody knows who you are. A lot you of know. people don't know that I actually run the festival, which is yeah. funny. It, but that's my point. Like, if they're picking up the comic and they're buying the work, yeah. they're they're doing it on the merit of the work. They're not necessarily going, he's the festival director. So maybe I'm I should buy put it. like a sticker on the front. But I'll be sitting. At, I'll be at the events. I'll be sitting next to people, and they'll be talking about Indie Comic Con, and they don't know that I'm running it. It's really <laughs> funny to listen to what they have to say. And do you, and what is it? What's the? You know, oh, it's good. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going. I'm going to Indie Comic Con. I'll be there. I'll be there in December. Are you going? And they're like, yeah, we're both going. I'm like. I actually actually um, approved your application yet. <laughs> Did you say that to no, me? No, no, I'm just thinking oh, of it. You're thinking of it. <laughs> right, right. But they, they got in, so it was good. Oh, good. Yeah, it's funny. And then, then I get other emails where they seem to think Indie Comic Con is like a big organization, you know? And I think that's the, that's the trouble, me. though. That's the trouble. A lot of the, yeah, a lot of the times with the way that you represent yourself, if you're a, if you're a, uh, if you're a, a studio or you're a press, uh, you know, it, you know, Everybody likes to think that I'm going to present myself in this fashion yeah. so it looks like I can do the job. And then when when what happens is invariably people go, they can do the job. So it's either uh, they're too big and they don't give a shit uh, or they just, they're just out to make money. Or it's kind of like, what a load of shit. They're not what they are representing themselves mm. as and blah, blah, blah. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs. Well, yeah, I suppose, I suppose. And the hard thing is, is every time I talk to someone who's in that same, you know, in the same kind of uh, situation, as, as I find myself sometimes, you know, you try to represent yourself in a certain way and sometimes you kind of go, you go, wow, this boulder is growing and the sh my shoulders <laughs> can't take the weight and it's just growing and growing and it and can be tough. Mm. It can be tough for, you know, for any one person to deal with. Do you, do you think that there is a place for, for a, an Australian comics, commer a commercial comics industry? Oh. And do you think it, 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 it one is it possible, and or do you think, you know, things like indie comic con can inform the future of uh, a commercial industry where people can get paid to do comics full time? I think, yeah, there's opportunity. Why not? You know, why can't we have that? But it's it will take a lot of hard work, right? Mm -hmm. And it's starting out first of all breaking down some of those stereotypes around comics, yep. educating people about what comics are, that they're valid literature, showing them some of the really great graphic novels and stuff that are out there now. Mm -hmm. And then we need innovators who are going to come in and actually establish that industry. Yeah. And there's some small, you know, like little publishers around, like Guest, Gestalt, yeah, Gestalt. Gestalt comes yeah. to mind. And That's who I was thinking. But yeah, there's not very many yeah. at the moment. But it's all dependent on the readership. I think... The climate for comics is good right now because pop culture is getting more popular. And even though comics are a small part of pop culture, when you go to those big events, they're part of it still. So I don't see why not. But it, yeah, it's probably a ways away, Yeah, unfortunately. I think if you are going serious about getting a publisher behind you and putting out a graphic novel, you're probably going to be looking overseas to the US or Europe or whatnot. Which is, yeah, which is a sad yeah, sad state of affairs. I I think personally because there's so many people who are doing great work down here, mm. and so many people that you've never heard of, even I've never heard of, and then you know every every month there's some new cat doing something cool, and yep. you just go, holy shit, where did this come from? <laughs> you know, so it's it's um it's it's pretty amazing. Have you ever thought of taking your work in the digital or putting your work in the digital realm, working digitally, or even rather than printing the books? doing some sort of kind of uh, uh, you know, digital releases. Mm. Yeah. Like that. Well, I offer all my books like as PDFs. If anyone wants to grab them, I usually do them for half the price. I don't I have anything against it. I don't go out of my way to make them digital. Uh, I think most people prefer the tactile quality of a book, you know, the feel of the paper stock and the smell yep. of it, and you have it there in your hands. You can't really beat that, you know what I mean? Working digitally, I do all my coloring on the computer, just because it's, it saves a lot of time yep. and stuff like that. 
but for me, I like the process of doing it by hand. I like the challenge of improving my skill with those tools and instruments. I don't think I don't have anything against digital art. There's a lot of artists out there who are just blazing awesome, you know, like creations with digital stuff to the point where sometimes I can't tell how it's been done, how it's yeah. been produced. They're that good. I'm not there, so like for me, it's not the right tool to get the effect I'm I'm looking for. But I think if it is for you, like you should definitely take advantage of it. It can be a it can be kind of a danger because there's so many options available to you, so you can like just keep manipulating it, and you never you never finish. You like zoomed in at three hundred percent, you like mm-hmm. rubbing out pixels and stuff like that. Yeah, no, for me, I like I like the real space. I like that tradition of comics, and inking and things like that. Unfortunately, they're kind of dying, and people aren't doing them anymore. But um, something I like yeah. just for myself. And that's really why I do comics. I'm not in it to make a lot of money i just i just like doing them you know is there anyone that you would love to collaborate with let me think dead or alive hell why not dead or alive (laughs) right okay are we talking like local indie creators uh anyone anyone okay anyone it's the floor is open yeah right well i like pierre as i mentioned so i'd really love his art style is so cool he's he comes from a street art background Mm -hmm. so i'd really love to write a story for him and have him illustrate it katie marks who writes Met Cop Wonderland. She's a really brilliant writer. And um, her and I kind of did a one-page gag. This is when she used to come to meetups. And it was called Bidditron, yep. which is about some grandma who sits down in one of those electronic massage chairs. Yeah, right. And then it like they become one, and she's like a transformer kind of thing. <laughs> I actually want to do the, the a whole issue of Bidditron. Like, I'm really interested <laughs> in that project. Yeah, yeah, right. Katie, if you're listening. <laughs> As far as like international people, like um, that guy who does Mega Hex, he's so cool. Like Simon Hesselman, mm-hmm. I think his name is. That'd be that'd be awesome to work with him and just like jam with him a little bit. His comics are really kind of like raunchy and humorous and funny. And Alan Davis is kind of like an idol of mine. If I could work with Alan Davis and like steal all his tips and tricks, <laughs> that would be fantastic. He does the best hair, does the best fabric. Wow. Yeah. Well, wow. all right. Well, there you go, Ellen Davis. If you're listening, yeah, I don't even know if he's still alive. Is he? <laughs> is he? No, I, have no idea. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard anything. Okay. I don't re- remember hearing anything about Ellen Davis passing away. Yeah, right. Well, let's hope he is for your sake. Yeah, still, uh, I still hope. And last question: What character in particular would you love to do a story about? Okay. Um, hmm. Well, the thing kind of comes to mind because mm-hmm. he's always been my favorite, a favorite of mine. So mm-hmm. I'd love to do, and the, and the reason I don't read Fantastic Four anymore is because I can't handle the artists they have on the books anymore. The Marvel artists are like, yeah, it just doesn't do, do it for me. And I judge a Fantastic Four book by how the thing is drawn. So right. he's not drawn well. I'm not going to read this book. Even if the story is amazing. I, no, so I'm a bit of an art snob. <laughs> yeah, right? fair enough. I, I will forgive a book that has a terrible story as long as it's got awesome art. Really? I, I will collect that. See, I've changed. I can't do that anymore. But I will not, I will not continue in a comic that has poor art. Like, I'll, I will give up. I can't handle it. Well, dip- I think there are many degrees of poor mm. art. And I figure that I will give most things a go. Yeah. Most things. But there's a, you know, the art still has to have, there needs to be something in the art that I can kind of look at. If it's so bad, it's good. All right. That's no, fine. No, but, I mean. no, I'm not. No. <laughs> if, it's, if, it's, if it's that bad, then I don't want any of it. Uh, there's, there's certain certain cartoon styles that I just can't, can't, my eye just won't let me enjoy. And it's like any kind of art that will take you out of the story. Yeah, really can't, you know, particularly when, when some, you got some artists who do, who wash out characters in with the backgrounds mm-hmm. and that really annoys me because it's kind of like, it's not clear cut. I get they're going for a particular aesthetic, but I've never enjoyed that type of art style. But yeah, it just, it gets, it's not that I don't think their art is worthless. Uh, it's just that I can't, I, I can't enjoy that type of work. Yeah, right. So I guess my answer it would be a, a thing one shot. Right. And then I'm going to cheat now and I'm going to say, or do you like a story about X-Men Australia? Do you remember the X-Men Australia team? No, I don't. They're my favorite era of X-Men. Really? And so they used to be based in Australia 
and they had an Aboriginal um, uh, was member called, called the Eight Way. Yeah, that's right. And he would he would open portals for them, and they'd jump around the world. And like they were a covert team at the moment, but it was the coolest lineup. And I think I can't remember who was doing the art at the time, but I would love to do like a story using those characters. Like they actually still use Gateway in in they the recent one of the recent uh, X Men comics that okay. uh, Robert Hickman's working on. They used Gateway because yeah, right they couldn't get somewhere, and he was the only one. Oh, uh, okay. Get there. So he's just kind of like a. Dusak Machina. Uh, I, th- I think so. Dropped in yeah. when it's convenient. They, they visited him Comics. and he said, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aside from the way that he's been, you know, that particular character has been, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Portrayed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always been a kind of a bit, it teeters on cultural appropriation. Mm. But they have, they have in recent times really, you know, done him as best as they could. Yep. Uh, and I don't know if they've ever actually spoken to anybody who is indigenous to Australia to, to find out. Well, they should. They should, absolutely. Yeah. And that's my point is I'm not sure if they have, but yeah. uh, they should if they haven't. But who is the lineup? Just quickly. So it's, um, you got Colossus. Yeah. And then uh, Psylocke. Mm-hmm. But this is back before she was like a Japanese ninja. She's actually British. Yeah, yeah. Betsy Braddock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you have um, Rogue. Yeah. This is the 80s as well. So yep. her hair is tremendously big. Yeah. Uh, you got Longshot. And Dazzler. Right. And who else is there? Storm. Depowered Storm. So she has no powers, but she's still the leader. And then she has this that's, awesome that's mohawk. The punk, punk Storm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Maddie Pryor, who like turns into the Goblin Queen later. Right. Yeah. But right. love that. Oh, and Wolverine, of course. You can't of never course. have X-Men without <laughs> Wolverine, right? <laughs> Not anymore. Oh, my gosh. Not anymore. He's stamped into it's that. everywhere. Fun. He's stamped. There's no way they get rid of him. Nathan, thank you very much for coming in on the show. Oh, it's been a pleasure. That's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. It'll be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. You can catch me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing in your handy web browser or search engine graphicnature.media. See you in two weeks, and uh, thanks heaps. Credits! Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production. Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.